Hi, this is Tom Compton. You're listening to WHTT Speaks Out. Each week, Chuck Carlson and members of We Hold These Truths look into events that are, for the most part, ignored or overlooked by the mainstream media. And we analyze these events. Ready, set, let the sparks fly. In today's WHTT Speaks Out, we're going to talk about the Federal Reserve. It seems to be a hot topic, particularly with the swearing in of its most recent governor, Janet Yellen. And what we'd like to do to start out here, we realize that maybe to some people this would say, well, why you guys are Christians? Why should we be interested in these kind of financial things? Well, number one, I think everybody's interested in it. And uh, as I told some friends here earlier at my church, we have economists that's well known, and he would speak every January about the state of finance, and I last time I went was about five years ago or so, and I asked him a question about the Federal Reserve, and uh, his answer was something to the effect that without the Federal Reserve, the U.S. couldn't function properly. So that uh, myth has been perpetrated now for over a hundred years, and it's becoming a little more obvious to people that maybe there is something wrong with the Federal Reserve and what it's doing. So I'd like to have Leslie read some parts of an article from the Financial Times. She's not going to read the whole article, but some salient points there. And then after that, we're going to talk about the Federal Reserve. And then Chuck Carlson's son, Chuck Carlson Jr., when he was 16 years old, that's almost 30 years ago, so I guess I hope I don't date people here, but he wrote a paper on the Federal Reserve at the age of 16 in 1985, and it's quite amazing. It really explains the, the history, and we'll talk a little bit about the, the Federal Reserve's history in our conversation today. Leslie? Yellen pledges continuity in Fed policy. Janet Yellen will start her term as U.S. Federal Reserve Chairwoman with dovish testimony to Congress pledging, quote, a great deal of continuity, unquote, in monetary policy and saying there is, quote, more to do, unquote, to restore the economy to health. Her prepared remarks on Tuesday suggest the Fed has enough confidence in the economy to keep tapering its asset purchases now at $65 billion a month. Quote, too many Americans remain unemployed, inflation remains below our longer-run objective, and the work of making the financial system more robust has not yet been completed, unquote. Ms. Yellen will tell the House Financial Services Committee. Ms. Yellen's first testimony heralds a new era for the Fed that carries on where outgoing Chair Ben Bernanke left off with aggressive policies aimed at bringing down the still high unemployment rate at 6.6%. In the Fed's first nods to turmoil in emerging markets, Ms. Yellen said the central bank has been, quote, watching closely the recent volatility, unquote, but she signaled to countries such as India that only domestic concerns will sway the Fed. Quote, our sense 
is that at this stage, these developments do not pose a substantial risk to the U.S. economic outlook, unquote, said Ms. Yellen. Quote, we will, of course, continue to monitor the situation, unquote. That is another indication the Fed will continue to keep interest rates close to zero even after the unemployment rate drops. Quote, the committee has emphasized that a highly accommodative policy will remain appropriate for a considerable time after asset purchases end, unquote, she said. In the wake of Ms. Yellen's prepared testimony, equities were firmer with the S&P 500, climbing back above 1,800 for the first time since late January. Comments by readers of Financial Times. Janet Yellen does have a choice. That choice is to correct past errors regardless of short-term costs or to focus on the present with secondary regard for long-term consequences. Former Federal Reserve Board Chairman Paul Volcker selected the first alternative and broke severe inflation even though doing so caused a recession. Were Yellen to similarly apply the brakes, the economy would spin into another recession. Apparently, she considers that a greater evil than ending money printing. Comment two, quote, too many Americans remain unemployed, inflation remains below our longer run objective, and the work of making the financial system more robust has not yet been completed, unquote. Yes, that's what six years of printing money does. Worst recovery in history and more vulnerable than before the crisis. Comment three, a surreal world, this venerable old lady should have been at home knitting a pullover to offer to husband or grandchildren. Instead, she is at the Federal Reserve, perhaps, knitting a perfect financial storm. Like, she has a choice. Once you're in the money-printing death spiral, you need to keep going. Let's discuss this a little bit. Well, why don't we lead off with you, Chuck, because you actually are the financial guy. The first question I think we need to talk about is, does Janet Yellen manage the Federal Reserve? And I think this story is very interesting. This comes from the venerable Financial Times. You have to pay pretty big bucks to subscribe to the Financial Times. It's been around a long time in London, and they really do a very thorough job. And yet, this article does not challenge in any way the idea that Janet Yellen runs the Federal Reserve. And these three comments were the first three that popped up this morning at dawn's early light when this announcement came out that Janet Yellen's first announcement had been made. And so these three guys were the first ones that commented. But if you notice what they said, each one of them objected to the Federal Reserve but all of them seemed to take the position that Janet Yellen really was there to manage things, that she actually is in charge. They talked about her highly accommodative policy, and she has choices. And they mentioned that Paul Volcker had been a Federal Reserve chairman, and he had thrown the economy into a recession. And then the last guy made fun of her for being an old lady who should be in home knitting. 
Instead, she is fashioning a perfect storm. Well, the truth is that this is the biggest fraud of all. The idea that these appointed college professors like Janet Yellen actually run this giant banking, a worldwide banking institution. And when they set up the Federal Reserve, the first thing they attempted to do was to hide who ran things and to make sure that people somehow got the impression that the democratic process had something to do with what the Federal Reserve did. And I think as we look at this paper, we ought to talk about that a little bit. Who really does run the Federal Reserve system is, I, I think, the question that everybody needs to actually first approach before they can possibly understand what it does. Well, I think two excellent places to start on that subject and the history, actually the first, which is the most outstanding book, actually was written in 1952 by Eustace Mullins, The Secrets of the Federal Reserve, was updated in the 80s, but he actually was able to construct the story of the Federal Reserve through research at the Library of Congress. And it's quite an amazing story. We really don't have time to, to go into all the details, and we would recommend The Secrets of the Federal Reserve. You can actually get it online. I think you can actually read it for free by just Googling. There are PDF files available. Right, and I agree with you that that is indeed the first and the best book ever written on the Federal Reserve because it does delve into this right. this issue, and, and in it, Mullins discusses this event that took place at Jekyll Island where there's a difference in opinion whether there were six or eight people there. But the leader was Senator Nelson Aldrich. And he was, of course, the senator who actually formed the Federal Reserve Plan, introduced it into Congress, and masterminded it through. And his name is a, sort of familiar to some of us if we stop and think about it. Nelson Aldrich. Who else had that name? Nelson Aldrich Rockefeller. Nelson Nelson Rockefeller. Right, Nelson Aldrich Rockefeller. And he was the grandson of Nelson, Senator Nelson Aldrich. So exactly. this is part of the Rockefeller family. So Nelson Aldrich was a banker. He was serving in the Senate, but he was actually like the whole Rockefeller family and their associates, a, a banking family. And in his book, Mullins tells about the six people who were there, and they represented the huge banks of their day. And in every case, uh, I won't read the names, but, well, well I, guess, I guess I could. They're, they're right here. At Jekyll Island, this is a, a nine-day meeting that was held at, uh, on this hunting lodge at Jekyll Island. And except for one person who was the secretary, the secretary to Nelson Aldrich, and probably drew up the minutes for this law that they were there to pass or that they were there to create, Every one of them is a president of a bank or a high officer in a bank. And these are the big banks. There's the uh, National City Bank, which was became the first National City Bank. There was Henry Davidson, the senior partner at J.P. Morgan Company. Anybody know that name? Charles D. Norton, president of Morgan-dominated First National Bank of New York. And then finally, there was Paul Warburg, who was a European and a recent immigrant from Germany. And he, of course, came from the House of Rothschild in Great Britain and was moved to New York to join a company called Kuhn Loeb Company, which has been absorbed into one of these others now. 
But my point, of course, is that all of the people that formed the Federal Reserve were bankers. There was not one college professor present. There was no Janet Yellen there. There was no Ben Bernanke there. There was no Alan Greenspan, a professor. So actually, Eustace Mullen explained all this back in his book. And if you go to read his book, he talks about the six men who were there and how they then put forward this bill and how the bankers put up a war chest of $5 million to pass this bill, which in those days was an absolutely enormous amount of money. It was a staggering amount of money. And then it says in Mullen's book that the way they uh, they sold this to the American people was through the college professors. And they went and recruited a, a number of college professors and they the primary ones was Professor O.M. Sprague of Harvard and Lawrence McClutchen of the University of Chicago, and he names a couple more. So in the pattern of things, you see, since the very beginning, the Federal Reserve has used college professors as front men to make us think they're running things, and when in fact the whole thing is owned and controlled by powerful bankers whose names we don't even know. And this is the first thing that Financial Times fails to tell us when they talk about Janet Yellen. So I'll stop. So who runs that newspaper? The one from London? Well, they don't want to get on the wrong side. Obviously, this is international in scope. And so the whole story is, is almost like a mystery that Chuck was talking about. It's really worth reading the book because it's better than any fiction and how this came about. There was a lot of deception in promoting it and actually changing gearship and putting a different hat on the Federal Reserve to sell it. So they had to sell it to the public. And so it was quite a story, actually, to, to see what, what happened and the fact that it's been unchallenged except for a few people like Ron Paul asking for audits. And those requests have basically gone nowhere in our Congress. Another professor that Mullins names who was instrumental, actually he was the lead one, was Woodrow Wilson, governor of uh, New Jersey and the former president of the Princeton University. And in 1907, he was enlisted as part of the original professor's gang to sell the Federal Reserve to the American people. And of course he became president. And then when they passed the act in 1913, of course he signed it. There you go. Woodrow Wilson circulated from being a professor to being president to signing the bill that he was uh, encouraged, let's say, to uh, Mm -hmm. support and get passed. So now, why would we ever believe that Janet Yellen has any authority whatsoever? Why would we just not think that she's a figurehead who knows exactly what she is supposed to do or is told exactly what to do and gets out and says and does it? Wouldn't that be you know, more logical you know, was, than to think that she actually runs things and has authority? There was a fellow, George Baker, who was associated with J.P. Morgan, and said that at that meeting at Jekyll Island, that one-sixth of the total wealth of the world was represented by the men that were there at that meeting. And that's just part of it. That didn't include any of the Rockefellers or any other of the uh, European financiers that were behind all of this too and when you look at all of that they figure that at that time one-fourth of the wealth of the entire world was represented 
by those groups that were behind planning of all of this. So it's uh, it's pretty staggering when you think about it. Yes, it is. And the Federal Reserve was used right off the bat to fund the United States' entry into World War One and to fund the, the British, actually. It was a mechanism for funding them. Well, what my friends have said is uh, they couldn't believe that the duplicity of the bankers and the sophistication of the deeds being done in a previous era, mm -hmm. that it couldn't be possible that it could be that bad back then. But it's not true. It's amazing how far they pushed But them. there were a few people that saw through it, and even supposedly uh, it's now said that L. Frank Baum, who wrote The Wizard of Oz, was actually talking uh, about the moneyed interest, and the, he represented populists who wanted the silver standard. And it's, that's a quite a fascinating <laughs> story also. So there were people at the time that were aware. Charles Lindbergh's father, Charles Lindbergh Sr., was a congressman from Minnesota, and he was a adamant opponent of the Federal Reserve System. So it was, it did have opposition, but it was able to steamroll its way into existence and has now been accepted as a godsend, supposedly, to make our free enterprise system work. Uh, the question is, Chuck, what happens, maybe we ought to talk philosophically, what would happen if we could get rid of the Federal Reserve? What would the alternative be? That's always the thing, well, we can't get rid of the Fed because our nation would collapse. Well, a lot of people say that the reason we need to understand what the Fed is doing is because our nation is going to collapse. And if we don't understand what they're doing, we're not going to know what to do when it happens. And so what would be the most common argument is that there is nothing that you can do by printing money, which is, I mean, we'll read another article about what the Fed does for the benefit of our listeners who are unfamiliar with the Fed. But, of course, the answer is that the things the Federal Reserve does only put off problems. They cannot prevent them. And uh, this is a kind of a fact of human nature. It's almost a God thing that all of the actions that the Fed takes are things that we would not consider to be legal or proper if we understood what, what they were. So it becomes kind of a moral responsibility to find a way to get along without this heroin-like influence that is dominating our business and, of course, is financing all the wars that we're in. The wars, essentially, that have been financed by the Fed have kept the economies going and have now fueled the world economies. The question is, how long can that continue? And even if you thought it could continue indefinitely, would it still be appropriate to be for it? Can you favor something that is based upon deceit and criminality? And that, I think, is the real issue with the Fed. Maybe when you run out of questions, you might want to read the parts of the little paper from a schoolboy. Well, I think that would be good, actually. It's not very long. Why don't we just read this? Because this is written by a 16-year-old in 1985. Leslie, why don't you read this? It was a report. Students on the Federal Reserve, what we all need to know. Chuck Carlson, Jr., age 16. Just inside the huge doors and behind the police guards of the Federal Reserve Bank in New York stands the sign saying, 
Most of us tend to view money as an object that symbolizes value, but the use of money is an economic force which profoundly affects our society. We hope this tour gives you some insight into money, its role, and the institution responsible for its control. This statement can be condensed into a simple fact. Money is power, of which the Federal Reserve has unlimited supply. The Reserve was established after three unsuccessful tries at centralized banking in 1913 during the Wilson administration under the name of the Federal Reserve Act. Some of the most powerful bankers of that time met at Senator Aldridge's private hunting island. Two of the most powerful present were Max Warburg and J.P. Morgan. On this fourth try, these men decided on a change of strategy which they felt might be more profitable, the bankers themselves would act as if they were standing up against the proposal, they would name it as if it were a government agency, and would convince the American populace that the new Federal Reserve Act was a reform to a more efficient banking system. This time they succeeded, and Congress passed the Federal Reserve Act. The Federal Reserve Bank of New York controls the economy of America through its banking structure, its control of interest rates, and its control of the circulation of currency. First, the banking structure helps the Federal Reserve control the economy. It has 12 branches throughout the United States, one of which is right here in Denver. These branches were formed to make it look as if the reserve was not completely a central bank, but almost all duties are carried out from New York. A board of governors rides above the New York branch and makes all important decisions at six meetings yearly. These men are not elected, but are appointed by the president for long terms. The chairman has always been representative of one of the founding New York-based banks. The most fascinating fact of the reserve is that it is privately owned. At present, the ownership is undisclosed to the public. However, at the start, almost 80% of the stock was owned by Chase Manhattan Bank, New York National, and several others. The telephone listing of the Denver branch is on page 133 of the telephone book in the private business section. The reserve has never been audited. Therefore, no one has any idea as to how much profit is being made and where it is being spent. Not only does the reserve have a control-oriented structure, but it also maintains a control on interest rates, prices paid for borrowed money. Credit markets interrelate to the borrowers and lenders' demand to establish suitable financial choices. Lenders compete, as in any free market, to have the most desirable interest rates. However, competition does not maintain the controlling factor in interest rates. 
The rates are completely controlled by the Board of Governors, fluctuating the amount of interest they charge banks. The Board sets the prime lending rate, which is the, quote, interest charged the small banks. If the Fed's interest is high, then banks have to charge consumers heavy interest to make a profit. If the lending rate is set low, as it did happen three weeks ago, then banks lower their interest charge to the public. The Federal Reserve controls interest, but they also fluctuate the amount of currency in circulation. Some of the branches have the right to print paper and coin currency. The Federal Reserve Bank has contracts with the government and all smaller banks. It creates the money and loans it to the government and banks. In return, the Fed gets interest from these suppliers. The Reserve creates free money and then makes interest on it. The Constitution of the United States says that, quote, no bills of credit shall be made, unquote, bills that are not 100% backed by gold. However, today, only one-seventeenth of all paper money is backed by gold. By increasing the amount of unbacked currency, the reserve can cause inflation. The prices are not actually going up, but there are too many dollars to buy too few goods. By controlling the printing of money, the Federal Reserve can control the economy of the United States. The Federal Reserve is fluctuating the economy of the United States through its control of interest, its banking structure, and its control of the circulation of currency. It is plainly observed that the Reserve is a private organization Yet this private organization has a firm grip on the people of America. The Board of Governors can cause inflation or deflation at will and make the economy strong or weak. The Federal Reserve has too much power and their secrets should be examined by Congress. It could then really be known if the Federal Reserve is profiting from the debt, inflation, and interest rates, problems that profoundly affect all Americans. Thank you. And it seems if it was obvious to a 16-year-old, maybe it should be obvious to other people out there. Any final comments before we sign off? Well, I think thou shalt not steal. (laughs) commandment. This is obviously a cartel. It's obviously theft and enriching themselves, stealing from every man, woman, and child that is alive today, and not only, I think, stealing materially and and what we can do with our lives, but it steals away men's souls. It steals our goods. guy that steals your purse can go after him, probably catch him and put him in jail, but these guys just do it because they've taken on the name of the Federal Reserve and it's got Congress behind them, and it's legal theft. They've shrouded themselves under the law. And it is a moral question, is it not? Absolutely. His destruction is, is upon us. Well, this is one huge compromise, and I'm just sorry to see the kids walk right into it and have to live it through. 
We need to open our eyes. Right. I, I do have one comment about this little paper, and that is, I hope you noticed as uh, Leslie read it, that it did have errors in it. The author, at the age of 16, couldn't figure everything out, and he was working on his own. He did, he did write this himself, and he said, the Board of Governors controls making decisions. The Board of Governors, he said, they're, they're appointed by the president, but they control making decisions. Well, that's the illusion that we're supposed to accept. And, and the author, that little part of this, he didn't quite see through. He said, the board sets the prime rate. No, the board doesn't set the prime rate. Somebody sets the prime rate. There are some guys somewhere who make that decision, but that board of governors appointed by the president, they just appear to set that prime rate. Everything they do is only an illusion. Who said the, it was about the Wizard of Oz? The wizard hid behind a curtain, right? And, and ran everything behind the curtain. I think Tom brought that up. This is the curtain. And the bankers are behind the curtain, and the Board of Governors is out in front, and Janet Yellen is the chairman of them. And it comes right back to what is Janet Yellen's role. And one other question we might ask, in order to be the chairman of the Federal Reserve Bank, is it the law that you must be Jewish? Why are all the chairmen of the Federal Reserve Bank Jewish? Is that something that we shouldn't question? We shouldn't wonder why that is the case? By the way, there is one exception. Paul Volcker was an exception, and he collapsed the economy for about 10 years. But he took orders, too. I have a question. Where is the will to stand against the Fed? Where, where is any outcry? I don't, I don't, I don't see it. You, know, you get, get a, a Ron Paul occasionally, but there's no, there's no leader out there saying, you know, we've got to abolish the Fed or we've got to nationalize the Fed or any of that. There's, there's no clamor in the streets over this. You're right. And that's, of course, the reason they expand the money supply all the time. Whenever they can, they keep it expanded. And that's why Janet Yellen is telling us they're going to continue to do that because they don't want an outcry. They don't want a revolt. And what would happen if we had one, I really don't know. But we need it no matter whether we know it's going to happen or not. Okay, well, I think we'll end our conversation. We appreciate everybody's comments, and we hope that you enjoy this. There's lots to ponder about this issue, and pass it on to a friend. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for listening. Be sure to tell a friend about our podcast. And please visit our website, whtt.org. You will find a wealth of information and resources like the latest Pharisee Watch and unheralded news articles. Also, you can order our new video, Christian Zionism, The Tragedy and the Turning, Part 1. Even though this video is copyrighted, we don't mind if you copy it as long as you copy all of it. Then you can educate your friends and acquaintances about the dangers of Christian Zionism. Start small, think big, and press on toward the straight gate.